0: at this time of year as I've shared with so many of you before. Uh, it used to be when I started doing these things that I would, you know, pick out a handful of news articles. It would take me all year to collect them. As I was editing this afternoon, there were about fifteen or twenty stories this afternoon uh, that that bore witness to the truth of where our world's headed. And it is infinitely important for the body of Christ to know the day and the time and the hour in which we live. Uh, Because if you don't, then you have no sense of urgency. You begin to look at the world as just uh, another endless string uh, of events in one human's life, and that life being yours it will lead towards uh, the end of your life, and it will be followed by countless thousands of others. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is going to be a last generation. Your Bible says so there will be a final group of people who live on this earth that will see the age of grace come to an end. I am neither prophesying nor predicting uh, that we are necessarily them, but I can tell you this, no group of humans, no group of people since the first day of the age of grace has ever been closer than we are to the near return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so as we look tonight at what Scripture has to say, uh, I remind you again, it's not my intent to frighten those of you who maybe you are a little bit on the timid side biblically. It, it is not my intent to uh, exaggerate. It is not my intent to stimulate you beyond uh, what Scripture says. It is my intent to draw your attention to what the Bible says about what The conditions of the world will be when the age of grace draws near to a close. And the reason I do that is my Bible says I am supposed to be a watchman on the wall. I'm supposed to be looking and watching and seeing and hearing. And when I see the enemy come, I'm supposed to blow the trumpet. And so tonight, prophetically, uh, we'll blow the trumpet. Let's Look together at what Scripture says, and then let's look at our world and see what's going on and see if we are nearer today than we have ever been. I believe we are. You remember in our study in Joel, which we just finished recently, in chapter 3 and in verse 1 it says, For behold, in those days and at that time, there will be a day and there will be a time. Uh, There is going to come a time in God's economy that He alone knows. Because Jesus said so, that no man knows the day or the hour. But we do know the times and the seasons. And so the book of Joel says that in those days and at that time, whenever that is, if it's tonight before you get home, that that trumpet sounds. Uh, if it's next week, next month, next year, a couple of years, I don't know. I, I'm not purporting to say that I do. But I can tell you this. In those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and I'll bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and I will enter into judgment there with them on account of three things. My people, my heritage Israel, for what was done to them, for they have been scattered amongst the nations of the earth and they have divided up my land. That's why... Your Bible says, my Bible says, that ultimately God is going to bring about the cataclysmic events that we know is the tribu- tribulation of days, the time of Jacob's trouble, uh, the very last days of the times of the Gentiles, that which we call in that day, that time that the Lord has finally said, enough is enough, and it is now time to judge the world, to judge sin, ultimately to judge all who are on it. For what has been done to the nation Israel, and for what has been done with God's land, and for the heritage that the Lord had in Israel. And so that day is coming. Though we have not been told the day, we have not been told the hour, we have been told the times and the seasons. We do know what the time will look like. We have a very clear understanding, and so as we draw our attention tonight Uh, You look at this little collage of photos here, Uh, over half of those were from this year. Um, That's a a picture of rockets being fired from Gaza into Israel and exploding. Those are the Merkva tanks on the top there that you can barely see behind the map of what was the 67 war uh, that Israel fought for its independence. Uh, You're looking at a map of Iran there. You're looking at an ICBM buried in a bunker. You're looking at Jerusalem you're looking at the most powerful navy on earth, our United States Navy, three carrier battle groups, never been done before, sailing together. All of those things add up to a time that the Lord says is coming. Now, I put those pictures together. You're not going to find them in any newspaper. But I will tell you this, that little sign that says Jews are terrorists, that is what about two billion people on this planet believe. And those two billion people, some of them already have access to nuclear weapons, the Pakistanis for one, possibly others. And we have one very large country, which is in that map that you're looking at, uh, to my left, to your right, and that is the nation of Iran. And they are rapidly drawing to a place to where a nuclear weapon is not only likely but almost assuredly going to occur. Very, very, very little chance that they'll go one more year without having, possessing a nuclear weapon. Whether they buy one from North Korea or whether they build one themselves, they are moving towards that technology extremely quickly. The only thing that they lack at this point in time is the triggering mechanism, and they have been trying to buy that for three straight years. And so the world is a dangerous, dangerous dangerous place as we look at those things that are going on right now i want to begin tonight by sharing what jesus said uh, about us as the church and about his children the nation israel we're as adopted kids we've been brought in we brought been brought near but the children of israel are still god's chosen people and god has a heart for israel you turn to your Bibles to Matthew 25, pick up with me in verse 1, a story familiar to all of you, it's the story of these wise and foolish virgins, and I can tell you this is an oft misinterpreted passage of scripture, because it's applied solely to the church. I personally believe that it is not just simply applied to the church, but it's actually speaking largely of the nation Israel, because there's going to come a point in time when the church is not going to be here. You all know it is the rapture, the harpazo, the being caught away, the snatched up. Uh, When God says the time is near, the age of grace is over, because his word is very clear that he's not appointed us unto wrath but unto salvation, he's going to draw the church away so that he might deal in his wrath uh, with the world that has rejected him and with the world that has tortured the Jewish people relentlessly for thousands of years. And so it says there in verse 1, And then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And surely uh, we could be likened to that group that meets the bridegroom, but when we meet the bridegroom, guess what? We're getting married at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're out of here. There isn't going to be any kind of hang. There isn't going to be any partial Christians, and that's why I know this is speaking of Israel. You're not going to be kind of hanging around going, oh, well, I didn't quite meet him. I almost met him. You're either a saint or an ain't. You're either going or staying. You're either in or out. You're either saved or damned. And if at that point in time, when the Lord comes for his church, you have not professed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you'll be staying here for a time that you don't want to be here for. And so he goes on to say, this is Jesus speaking, and now five of them were wise. And I believe this likens some of those who you would meet today who are Jews, who it appears have a very, very near relationship to the Lord, much like the Old Testament saints. They revere God, they have a clear understanding that He absolutely is sovereign in all of the universe, they understand Him well, they want to have a relationship with Him. And then five were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, no work of the Spirit. They're not seeking the Lord. But the wise took their oil and their vessels and their lamps, but while the bridegroom was delayed. Notice that. Because Jesus is going to snatch the church away, and then there's going to be a period of time when he's not going to be here. Amen? Seven years, to be exact. He'll be delayed. But he is coming back for everybody else. We know that is the second coming. They all slumbered. They slept. Why do I think that to be true? Because your Bible clearly states that the Jewish people one day will be saved. But it also says at the beginning of the tribulation that they will make a peace treaty with the Antichrist himself while they slept. For three and a half years. Sleeping and slumbering. The midnight cry was heard Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. So now it's speaking of the second coming of the Lord. And all those virgins, the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, those tribulation saints, those Ones who were the faithful, the 144,000, and some of the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil for our lamps. They're going out. But the wise answered and said, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go and sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Over. Finished. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open it to us. And he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. There's only one time that the Lord's going to say that, and that's at the great white throne judgment. Because until that happens, you can still know Jesus if you have breath. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So, whether you're a saint and snatched away at the very beginning of all this, or whether you're alive and make it into the tribulation period, you better be ready. Because there's going, going, going to come a point in time. Jesus said so. The bridegroom's there. Look, I see it. I understand it. I now get it. And he's going to say, too late. Very scary passage of Scripture. Unless you're one of God's kids. If you're kind of sitting on the fence, you might want to think about not sitting on the fence. Because Jesus said nobody knows the day or the hour. I don't know when he's coming the first time to snatch us away, and I surely don't know when he's coming the second time as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, your Bible says. With that name written on his thigh as he brings the sickle to reap the harvest of the ungodliness that's overtaken our world. And if you don't believe that ungodliness has taken over our world, then you're in for a treat tonight. And so Peter, writing in his second letter to the church in chapter 3 and verse 11, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, he's talking about the world. He's going, look, this ain't lasting forever, to paraphrase it. Everything you see, everything this world is, everything this world holds dear is not going to last forever. It's not going to happen. It's going to dissolve. For us who love the Lord, we're out of here. And you know what? In a personal sense, I with Paul say, for me it's better I go. But for you... For us, for those who don't know the Lord, it's better we stay. Because right now you are the light of the world, family of God. You've been put here for a purpose, for a reason. You have, Jesus gave them to us, the words of life. When he said he is the way and the truth and the life, he meant that. And he transferred that light into the church, and he said, Look, church, now go be on a hill so that everyone can see you. Don't hide that light under a bushel basket. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't be timid. Be like John the Baptist, who we'll look at on Sunday. Be exactly like him. Dare to look Herod Antipas in the eye and go, Look, what you're doing is wrong. Be bold. Because you know what? The world is going the other way. And it's perishing. People are going to hell. What manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Don't lump those two things together. Some people do. Holy conduct is how you ought to act according to the new character that you have and the new nature that you have in Christ. And godliness is that glory that shines through you because you have holy conduct. They're two separate things. You see, God's not glorified in you until you're like He is. That's why when Christians sin, as D.L. Moody said, it's way worse when Christians sin than when unbelievers sin because they don't know any better. As we saw in our study in the book of Hosea, Man, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And so we share these things. Sometimes they're uncomfortable. Sometimes, uh, in light of God's grace, we have to almost snicker. You know, I, I wonder sometimes at the at the church how we can see what we see and just go, well, you know, it doesn't mean a thing. I've had people recently in my office, oh, well, that doesn't prove anything. If you're looking for empirical evidence that the Lord is coming back tomorrow, you'll never get it. He said so. But if you're looking for the times and the seasons so you can be aware, you better believe he's making it very clear what time it is. Because all you got to do is look at Israel. All you have to do is look at the world around you and go, man, when's God going to say enough's enough? There are over four and a half million young girls under 12 years old in our world today that are being trafficked as sex slaves. And that's a very tame estimate put forth by our U.S. government, and they don't like to put those numbers out. There are more people in poverty today than ever in the course of human history. Peter went on to say, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved. The elements melted with fervent heat. One day the Lord's just going to peek through the clouds and say, Church, come home. The Antichrist is going to rise up and say, Good, we finally got rid of the Christians. Think about it. Think about it. Good, we finally got rid of the Christians. Is not that spirit alive and very well in our world today? Good, we got rid of the Christians. Good, we got rid of Phil Robertson. Good, we got rid of Chick fil A. Good, we got rid of prayer in school. Good, we got rid of everything that looks like it might represent something other than filth. That's our world, it's where we live. Hosea was right. People are destroyed because pastors won't preach. Because teachers won't teach. Because you got people that say, well, that's just too controversial. I don't want to get involved in all of that because you know what? Maybe I'll be wrong. You know what? I'll chance being wrong maybe with some little tidbit of whatever piece of information for the sake of the argument of the whole, which is, Jesus is coming soon. I believe that. Soon relative, of course, to eternity, but soon also relative to to the world that we live in today. I don't see how it lasts much longer. The age of grace will not last forever. That's not me. That's what Jesus said. And so as you look in your Bible, and and I specifically tried to narrow down some things tonight, and we're going to begin with wars and rumors of wars. As we look at some of these things, I want you to actually be encouraged. Because I believe that if you take this as Christ intended it, as as my Lord intended it, as we look at our world in light of what's going on, it should stimulate us to know that we are in fact blessed of God to be alive at this time. Because I don't believe there's ever been a generation that is as blessed as we are. Because we're seeing these things unfold, and we can see them clearly because we have ways to see them that did not exist even 50 years ago. The speed with which our information comes to us is staggering. It's monumentally fast. So fast that in fact very often before law enforcement has even finished its investigation, the report's already in the news. Before some military action is even over, there's live stream video from somebody's smartphone posted on the internet. And so these signs, and you'll see the list there, and you can refer to it as we begin to take a little journey uh, through the year two thousand thirteen. And when Jesus said you will hear of wars and rumors of war, see that you're not alarmed. I love the fact that he said, See that you're not alarmed. I say to you tonight, see that you're not alarmed. I'm going to echo what Jesus said right back to you. Don't be alarmed. Be wise. Such things, he said, Jesus said, must happen. We don't like that. But I would share with you, look what God has allowed in the lives of the nation Israel. No human being on earth would have ever mapped out, let's bring on the Holocaust. But in God's economy of time... He says, you know what? They're not listening. And I love them. Any of your parents ever said that to your kids? They're not listening. And I love them. Followed by, okay, no Nintendo for a year. (laughs) Ah! No video games. Or today, give me your iPhone. Oh, horror of horrors. Such things must come, but Jesus goes on to say there in verse 6, but the end is still to come. In other words, they're precursors. They're the warm-up. They're the ramp-up. And so wars and rumors of wars in and of themselves are not the end. They're telling you the end is near. And so as we look at our world, uh, I would just point your attention to a few things that have transpired here in 2013. The National Defense Council Federation, of which there is also a foundation, that says that out of 74 of the world's 191 nations, four more were added this year to those nations which are in conflict. That's 13 more than last year. It just keeps growing. For the last five years, it's gone up by between two and this year, uh, 13 more countries are involved in some kind of conflict. You may have seen. We have supported for many years, almost almost 10 years, we have supported missions efforts in this church in South Sudan. South Sudan declared its freedom just two years ago. This year, just two months ago, war begins again in South Sudan, and the Christians are fleeing. We have U.S. troops in Djibouti right now, that are there to station to evacuate our citizens out of South Sudan, because it has become again a war zone after just two years of freedom. After two years, that freedom went straight back where it was before, into tribal warfare. And so when we look at the world is more at war than it was last year. And it continues to become more at war. And if you look at what's going on with the general world population, the fragility of peace on this earth is staggering as we're going to see tonight. As we look at nuclear weapons, and of course as you look at Ezekiel 22, you can't help but there in verse 21, and I won't read it to you. You can read it for yourself, but see that there's going to come a point in time when there's going to be something happening on this earth that really can't be explained in a human sense. Uh, It says, I will gather you and blow my fire on you in my wrath, and you'll be melted in the midst. That, to me, sounds an awful lot like a nuclear exchange. And so we currently have nine nations on this earth that will admit to having nuclear weapons, and actually Israel doesn't admit to it. Last year, they admitted to having a program whereby they could produce nuclear weapons if they want to, which is simply a smokescreen. And they were so effective in building their nuclear power plant at Damona that we didn't even know it existed until it was online. They actually walled up the inspection tunnels that the investigators were supposed to use to look at it and see what they were actually doing with it. And yes, of course, Israel has nuclear weapons. They actually had them during the 67 war. In fact, two of those, in what was known as Operation Samson, two of those nuclear weapons, the only two they had, were in the air during the 67 war as a last minute effort in case they were overrun. They were going to nuke Cairo and nuke Damascus. That was the plan. So when you look at the world, they now have in excess of 200 nuclear weapons. They possess missile technology that we gave them based on our Pershing missiles, based on our Trident missiles. They have submarines. They have full nuclear capability, just as we have. Significantly less warheads, but the same basic technology. They can defend themselves. The problem exists in Israel's defense, that they do not have the ground forces to fight a protracted ground war. And so one of the things that the world is sitting on edge waiting for what happens in Iran is, what will Israel have to do to protect itself? Because they will come to a place where they'll have no choice but to act in extreme measure because they have no land mass available, thanks to many, including our president, wanting them to give up yet more land until their country is completely indefensible. And it is completely indefensible to this day. Can they defend it right now? Yes. When they began purchasing our advanced fighter aircraft in the 1990s, they purchased first F-15s. They now have F-16s, F-16Is to be exact, which are fitted with long-range fuel tanks. They can have the same missile guidance technology that we do. We've given them our JDAM, our joint munitions guidance programs, all of those types of things. They have all of that weaponry. But the fact of the matter is, they've only got about 100 of our F-16s. To give you an idea of the scope of the 1967 war, Israel destroyed on the ground over 4,000 aircraft between Syria and Egypt. And so 100 aircraft doesn't look so great when you're comparing it to whatever the Egyptians still have, and we're giving them our F-15s. Your tax dollars are going to pay for that. And though we have the world's most advanced nuclear technology, matter of fact, a single Trident submarine, which we have uh, 18 of them, by the way, one of them has nine times the destructive force of all of the ordnance dropped in World War II. A hundred percent. So is our world the safer place? I don't think so. I don't know how many of you have ever watched Hunt for Red October, but but those scenarios are not that far-fetched. One crazy person with a nuclear submarine could destroy the entire world. And so that hangs over our heads to this day. And then, of course, we now have... the unbelievable threat of Iran possessing a nuclear weapon. People are saying, still in the news today, and you can go, if you want to go there, just go to, it's actually www.missilethreat.com and you can look at the advancement of missile technologies all over the world. You can go to globalsecurity.com and do the same thing. You can go to Jane's and look at who has what and how many of each. And it's a rather interesting study if you're into such things. But I can tell you this that for four straight years, Iran has increased the range of its ballistic missile delivery systems. They now can reach out around 4,000 kilometers. That's more than twice the distance necessary to reach Israel from Iran. So they have no problem. All they need is a bomb. And with the width of Israel, two of them would wipe out the entire country, basically, if they had a yield of over 20 kilotons. So as you look at the world today, and everybody goes, well, you know, they mean well. I don't know about you, but I'm not thinking that I want to hear they mean well when it would only take two nuclear weapons to wipe out your entire country. And so as we look at the world, senior Pentagon officials today absolutely believe that by the end of 2014, That Iran will have at least one nuclear weapon. And with the rate that they are centrifuging, thanks to our president taking away the sanctions that were on them to prevent them from using their centrifuges to create ultimately plutonium, weapons grade plutonium, which by the way, it only takes four kilograms. Four kilograms, that's basically ten pounds of plutonium to make an atomic weapon. It's not a whole bunch. They're moving on that very, very, very quickly. And so what do we do in response? We released their captured nuclear scientists and took the restrictions off of them. Our president just did that less than two months ago. So now they have a man who actually has the ability to design that nuclear trigger that they need. And all the while, Calvary pastor Saeed Albini sits in prison. We can't take care of our own people, but we can give back nuclear scientists and all the power that they need to carry out the threats that they've been making now for six straight years, which is they want to see Israel blown off the face of the earth. And though they're saying it nicer, it's kind of like if I came up to you and said, you know... I just really want to kill you. (laughs) I'm pretty sure those are the same words, that I want to kill you. I don't really care how you say it, it means the same thing. Just this year, the Iranians produced the first multiple stage, the Shahab 4, which they were previously using a North Korean design, but they now have, stepped that up and created yet a longer-range missile. And so we sit here and we go, well, you know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. House Majority Leader Eric Cantor said one month ago, the nuclear deal with Iran stands as this, and I'm quoting him directly. It bodes very ominously for the region, and for U.S. security. The thought of a nuclear-armed Iran poses the greatest threat to U.S. national security of any issue that we are currently dealing with in the House. Why? Because Iran's Iran's the, the only nation on Earth who's probably insane enough to actually use one. And don't think for a moment that the Israelis won't retaliate. Strange bedfellows the Arab nations make. Right now the Saudis will say, well, we're basically kind of neutral in this and we really don't want to proceed any further. But when push comes to shove, Arab nation against Jewish nation, whose side do you think they're actually going to take? And eventually, because your Bible says so, they will bow out. President Obama, speaking again just a month ago with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, harshly condemns Israel for having a problem with Iran possibly getting a nuclear weapon. And he chides him. He says, We do not understand why you're making this historic mistake of stopping the peace process. That's our president. That Israel is stopping the peace process. To that, Benjamin Netanyahu said, we're not stopping the peace process. There'll be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes. He quoted scripture to him. That brings us to the nation Israel, where it is right now. As most of you know, Connie and I had the privilege to travel there just six months ago. And when we were there, it was very clear that Israel works extremely hard at trying to keep themselves safe. And if you look at the border fences, especially to the south of Jerusalem, as you wander along the highway that leads down into um, down to the coastal route to Tel Aviv, There's a 36-foot high wall with a curved top on it to try and guard the entry points basically into Jerusalem from the Palestinian territories. We don't hear much about it anymore. This is from our Secretary of State, John Kerry. He said this four days ago. Secretary of State Kerry, in his scheduling, was set to travel to the Middle East. He's going to do that actually this week. In a flurry of reports, he said, I have been given the recent information and the recent information from Israel's Shinbet Security Service has been reported that there is a steady increase in the rise of attacks in Jerusalem itself. Have any of you heard about a single attack in Jerusalem? There were 167 of them in November alone. Terrorist attacks. Pipe bombs, shootings, Arabs killing Israelis. There were 136 in October. Total is up, that's almost 300 terrorists attack in 60 days. We don't hear anything about it. And our president says, well, they just need to give up more land. There's no more land to give. They shouldn't have given up what they've already given. They should have kept it because God gave it to them. They shouldn't have given up the Temple Mount. God gave it to them. It's theirs. It belongs to God. They're supposed to inhabit that land. And there won't be peace until Jesus comes and s- establishes that peace. Two days ago on Sunday, any of you hear about this? You remember that in 2006 there was a relatively large-scale incursion that was sponsored by Hezbollah, which is funded by the Iranians. Militarized by the Iranians in southern Lebanon and in uh, western Syria. Uh, Their rockets were being fired. In the last three days, over 400 rockets have been fired into Israel. Again. Give up more land. It's going to work out for you. Don't worry about it. And they fire two more. I'll bet what you did hear about was, that mean, naughty Israel took and fired three shells into southern Lebanon. And they blew the tar out of a launch site that launched rockets at them. They're being sanctioned by the UN. Okay, folks, what I just told you was nearly three hundred terrorist attack, four hundred rockets. Have been fired into Israel in the last two months, and Israel is going to get sanctioned for one, two, three artillery shells being fired into Lebanon. Do you think the devil's at work? <laughs> I do. Because when I look at the world, I'm going, that's nonsensical. As I've shared with you, can you imagine the U.S.? you're down in San Diego, and you're up in Canada. Of course, the Canucks would never fire anything at us, maybe some pine cones or whatever. But they launch logging boots at us or something. I don't know. But, you know, and and four or five hundred rockets come flying into Seattle. And, you know, yeah, they don't kill a whole lot of people. They blow a few things up. And then all of a sudden, their kids are being blown up on buses. Their wives are being blown up in supermarkets. Well, you know, they just don't really like us, and I guess there's not much we can do. That's not what we do. We're scrambling F-15s, F-16s, YF-22s, Ospreys, and we are going to take over that part of Canada or Mexico. That's what's going to happen. But yet Israel cannot even defend itself. It's not acting as the aggressor. It's defending itself. And so they're going to be sanctioned by the U.N. It's absolutely insane. And so the Middle East is a very, very, very volatile place. Prime Minister Netanyahu said in December, uh, the very beginning of this last month, he said, we will at some point in time in 2014 have no choice but to exercise at least one of our three options with regard to Iran. So, I'm not telling you I know when that is, but I'm telling you that the Jewish people are not going to wait until there is a Shahab 4 headed their way with a 20 kiloton warhead on it aimed at Tel Aviv. Though they have our aero missile batteries and our Patriot missile batteries and they can defend and shoot those things down, they're not going to chance that. It is not going to happen. And so, as we look at Israel, very, very, very dangerous. And I want to spend just a little time tonight because it's just, it's, it's making me crazy. Because I, I want to speak about us and all these other things up here. I just want to focus in on, on America's place in this. Because we have been given much. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.3 says, Let no one deceive you by any means. Don't let anyone deceive you by any means possible of deception, is how that actually is rendered into English from the original language. No matter what means are used for deception, don't believe a single means of deception used to deceive you. In other words, really, 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 don't be deceived. The enemy is going to try and deceive you. Don't buy his tactics. For that day, the rapture, tribulation, the second coming of the Lord, followed by the millennial, that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. I don't know how much farther we can fall, quite frankly. I don't know where it goes. I was sitting there, and most of you know I have a little bit of history in martial arts. I hold a black belt myself. I kind of like thumping on people, and I like them to thump on me occasionally, but I'm getting so old that it hurts, and so I've stopped doing that. But <laughs> it 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 is shocking to me, the violence of our sporting events. Have you watched our football games? People are breaking necks and arms and legs. And, everyone, well, you know, just a, it was a clean hit. It's insane. Simple things that you look at and you go, that's just not okay. Simple things like that. But it's the other things that are most staggering and frightful to me. As we As we look now, here in California... You, we could all go out on this right out here on highway 18 we could write every filthy word that we could come up with from our BC days okay? You dig into the recesses of your mind that stuff that you have forgotten and you tell well that's how you spell it put it on the board and we put up every, and we go out there and we have every rotten vile evil thing that you can think of and it's perfectly okay but don't dare say Merry Christmas. In Jesus' name, what is wrong with our country? That in academia, the American Academic Association pronounced upon the nation Israel a boycott of all Israeli institutions of higher learning because they were not allowing Muslims to engage in Muslim propaganda in their colleges. Well, duh, you're killing their citizens. And our professors in our country finally stood up. Actually, professors at Harvard and Yale said, this is crazy, that's what academia is about. A few people get it. But the world's going, yeah, you know, that's just wrong. But we don't care about the Carl's Jr. commercials that fill you. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? It's a hamburger. It's made out of meat. You're supposed to eat those things. It's not supposed to be porn. It's crazy. And yet everybody's going, oh, you know, the great commercial. If that's what a great commercial is, we're terminally ill in this country. In Jesus' name. And it's about time the church said, Enough. And I think a large part has been due to how we have voted. We've put in godless rulers who have appointed godless judges who now legislate from the bench. And so our system of government is actually failing because the body of Christ, well, I'm just not going to vote. It doesn't matter. If another person in California that's a Christian tells me they're not going to vote because it doesn't matter, I'm going to punch them out. In Jesus' name. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a David on him or something. I don't know. I just It makes me crazy. It's like, so just surrender? That's your answer? Give up? Go with the hopelessness? Last time I looked, we actually have hope. But the hope's in Christ. It's not in doing things the world's way. And of the controversial things that we're dealing with, I can't think of anything that is more in the forefront right now than gay marriage. I'm going to tell you, maybe some of you have seen this. It just came out in the last two days. At the Rose Parade, tomorrow, at the bandstand, there is going to be a gay wedding done. I'm nuts crazy. Okay, Because last time I looked, I, I don't think that that's a place for that at all. And it is a political statement. And it's wrong. And the pastor that's doing it, along with the two guys, and again, we need to love people who are in sin for sure, but we've lost our collective consciousness when you have to defile the Rose Parade to make a political statement about something that 98% of us don't agree with. You can't be intolerant of sin, but you have to tolerate filth. World's a mess. Because if we're the best there is, if this nation is the last hope, yikes! Yikes! Let me share with you the beliefs, and I took this directly from her website, of the Reverend Alfreda Lenoy of the Unity Fellowship Church, who is doing the wedding, what we believe. And it begins rather benignly, God is love and love is for everyone. It is goes on further to say it's impossible to love each other without a sense of mutual equal worth or respect. That, I agree with that actually. Completely agree with that. Goes on and says Romans thirteen ten, for love works no evil towards its neighbor, and therefore love is the filling of the law. That's correct in its context. Quotes first John four twenty for it is impossible to love God whom we've never seen and hate our brothers and sisters whom we see every day. You see, the whole thing is about who you love and who you hate based on her understanding of what that is. Because my Bible says God hates sin. So I can hate sin without hating people. So what she's really saying and what they're really saying at this church and goes on, and this will blow your mind. This is a Christian minister and that's how she's going to be portrayed tomorrow. The uh, Unity Unity Fellowship Church of Christ, I believe, is the full name. God is neither male nor female. God is spirit, and spirit has no gender. We believe in liberation theology for all, a theology that frees the oppressed, and therefore is not a male-dominated hierarchy, not oppressive to women, not European in scope, must relate to people of color. Notice how you can hate people who are European and white, but when it comes to people of color... We need to free them. And again, you all know me. I believe God created us all equal. And I absolutely believe that. But you can't have reverse discrimination and say it's okay. Not just European. Not oppressive. This is in their statement of faith. Not oppressive to the lesbian, gay, and transgender, bisexual people and allows us to think and discern through human reason and experience. That's called existential philosophy, folks, for those of you who have never taken a philosophy class. Reason and experience says, God must be wrong. I don't like what he said. Not oppressive to Native Americans or to their spirituality or any other oppressive use of scripture. So to call sin is an oppressive use of scripture. You get the picture? Goes on. We believe that the teaching of Je- in the teachings of Jesus, but we do not dismiss all the other beliefs as wrong or second to our way of thinking. God is greater than any religion, denomination, or school of thought. That's absolutely true. But then they define it. God is spirit and alive at work in the Muslim mosque, the Jewish synagogue, the Christian church, the tribal religion. God is everywhere and in everything we believe that the Bible and all great spiritual writings or guides must be read, taking into consideration the time of their writing, the traditions practiced, and the time and the fact that we all have the right to question and examine all interpretation. I thought God said this was it, and at the end of it it says, cursed is he who adds to or subtracts from. This is what people think being a Christian is. This is the tolerance that's being preached. It's a tolerance for sin. It's a tolerance for heresy. It's a tolerance for godless behavior. It's not a tolerance for loving people. It's a tolerance for hating them so much that you're willing to watch them perish and burn eternally rather than tell them the truth. A person's belief system must be supportive of a healthy self-acceptance. Find that in Scripture. It says, I'm to pick up my cross and follow Christ daily. It said that in this world you'll have tribulation, but do not be afraid, for I have overcome the world. That it must encourage physical, emotional, and mental help. Now, I need mental help. I get it. (laughs) The last time I looked, that's a work of the Spirit. And you get that by following Christ. And no other way. It's not my words, it's Jesus' words. He said he was the only way. And so, the Pasadena Tournament of Roses Parade Foundation, which puts on the parade, said in its statement that it's proud to have the AIDS Healthcare Foundation's float, adding it clearly represents this year's parade theme, Dreams Come True. I don't know about you, but I'm hoping every Christian says, "Mm mm-mm, not for me, and stands up and turns their back and walks away, does whatever you got to do to say, that's not the Jesus I know. And it's shameful. Your Bible says that in the last days, men will take upon themselves shameful acts that they will do that which is unseemly. And they won't even be ashamed of it. And to me, when it gets to this point, to where roughly 80 million people will be forced to watch that event, if they're they're tuned in and they stay tuned in, is absolutely an abomination. Abomination. Probably many of you have heard of the Duck Dynasty fiasco. And I want to touch on it. Here's what was actually said by Phil Robertson. We're Bible thumpers who just happen to have ended up on television. They never claim to be actors. They know it's a farce. They know exactly who they are. He said, if you put in your article that the Robertson family really believes strongly that if the human race loved each other and they loved God, we would be better off. We ought to just repent and turn to God. Let's get on with it. Everything will turn around. Amen. I got no problem with that. But somehow that's wrong. You can't say that. That's hateful. And so what do they do? They suspend them for exactly nine days. And then they realized that that's the only show that A&E has on that actually is profitable. So they reinstated him. It's crazy. What hypocrisy. What utter hypocrisy if you want to advocate for all these things that we completely disagree with as the body of Christ, okay, you can do that all day long. You can watch shows about lesbians who suck the blood of other people who then pass along a disease to somebody else. and Well, you know, I can't say anything about that. I mean, after all, doesn't everybody do that? It's crazy. What happened to Dan Cathay and, and Chick-fil-A? The reason I'm sharing this with you, it's kind of turned around to bite each one of these times when that's done that. Maybe the body of Christ is waking up. I pray there's revival in the church in America, and people are going, you know what? Hey, no way. Had enough. The president of A&E actually has now come out in favor of the Robertson family. He said this, because they're losing money. <laughs> the Robertson family is a breath of fresh air. He says in the, in the article, which is in GQ magazine, which, by the way, I don't read, get, and wouldn't encourage you to, but it says this, Beloved, for staking out a bit of holy ground within the most secular society is often downright sinful... And of the pop culture in America, I'm willing to take a bullet. He's telling them like it is. Send him one of my CDs, I'm sure they'll even be more upset. <laughs> the producer said they're not hateful people. They may call each other idiots, they might poke fun, but they're warm and decent folks. Few people watching are rough looking, but Phil Robertson is a gentleman. Then Phil was asked, well, what do you think? Do you actually hate gays? He says, we never ever judge someone who's going to heaven or hell. He said, that's the Almighty's job. We just love them and give them the good news about Jesus. Whether they're homosexuals, drunks, terrorists, we let God sort it out. Amen? But you got to tell them about Jesus. So somehow, telling them about Jesus and saying the Bible says this, and then he quoted from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which says exactly what he, he paraphrased it at. But it says that. Do you not know? And he didn't lay off of all of the rest of the people that get named there, drunks and extortioners and fornicators and idolaters. And then he said, and guess who's in that list too? Homosexuals. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's what God's Word says. And yet, that's somehow wrong. You can't say that. It's come to the point in our time when political correctness just rules everything. But, watch the Big Bang Theory. Watch Family Guy. Yeah, I'm not telling you to, by the way. Christians, you can bag on Christians and pastors and people who go to church and call them every filthy thing under the sun. Oh, yay ha! That's comedy! That's the double standard. Why do I emphasize that tonight? Because if the country on earth with the greatest representation of Christendom is that far in the proverbial toilet, where do you think the rest of the world's gonna go? Unless there's revival in the church in America. Unless there's revival in our hearts. Unless we're willing to stand up and go, you know what? Not on my watch. Phil's right. I absolutely love everybody. But but make it our business to propagate sin that we know destroys people's lives. I'm no more gonna. I, that's like, well, you know, if you feel like robbing banks, just go rob banks. You know, I know that you want to destroy. Just destroy, destroy your marriage. After all, she's a witch anyway. Where does it end? God calls the shots for the body of Christ. He told us what He expects. It's not our job to interpret what He said and throw out what we don't like like the Reverend Althea said. And why am I saying that? Because there are people that believe she's a Christian. Because she says so. My Bible says she's not. And I'll call her on it. She's not saved. Not because I think so. Because everything she does says that she is not a child of God. The fruit of her life is evil. We can't just stand by and go, well, it doesn't matter. That's what happened to Israel. That's why the tribulation one day is going to take place. I don't want to be part. I want to be part of seeing his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we look at these things, we need to stand strong, body of Christ, brothers and sisters. You know, we got Olympics coming up. There have been six terrorist bombings in that region in the last two days. Six. Those nutbags are ready to blow up anybody. The world needs Jesus. Not man's concoction of who they want Jesus to be, the real Jesus, the Holy One, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's what the world needs. The world doesn't need some aberration concocted in the mind of somebody who doesn't like what God's Word says. The world needs the real Jesus. And I want to challenge you to stand bold and stand strong and tell people the truth. Do it with every ounce of love that's within you. And tonight I'm speaking to the body of Christ, and so I've taken liberty of boldness with you for a purpose. But I want to encourage you. No one comes to Christ by being told they're okay to continue to walk in their sin. They're deceived. Nobody comes to Christ by not acknowledging that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. That leads them to lostness. Nobody comes to Christ who believes in another gospel. So the gospel is the gospel we preach. The truth is what we speak. And we don't back down for anybody. Any time or any place. And if we will at least take our role seriously, then we will hear, well done. I want to hear, well done. I don't want to hear. Phew, glad you made it. <laughs> Real close. I don't want to I don't want to win. Barely. I want to be victorious. You know, as we take up these Incredible things. I mean, look at China. China's now announced a no fly zone over most of the South China Sea. That's where Japan is, our ally. Russia's saying, well, you know, we don't really want you flying over, you know, most of Turkey. Pretty soon it's going to be us against the world. I know who I stand for, and it's not just the U.S. of A. It's Jesus who is the Christ, the one and only King, the Sovereign Lord. And it's in Him tonight that we press on. Paul was right, having done all to stand, stand there for. Book of Acts records, Nothing shall move me. Nothing. Your Bible says no weapon fashioned against you shall prosper. That we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And it's time that the church woke up to the reality that we are the victors. That, that we stand strong in the power of his might in the strength of who Jesus is. We're not fighting a political battle. We're fighting a battle for righteousness. We're not fighting a moral battle. We're fighting a battle for lordship. But we need to fight. But that love is righteous that love is holy. That love absolutely has standards. That love is not just the fluffy tell everybody everything they want to hear so that they feel like they're accepted in no matter what they're doing. That love is a righteous and holy love. And Jesus requires lordship. For us to be right with Him, Jesus is Lord. For many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you're not troubled for all these things. Must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. But these are the beginnings of sorrows. They're the time in the course of human history when things are starting to get near the end. And so all these things that we've looked at tonight I think they're just birth things. is there time for revival yes absolutely because we still have breath mankind is still here heaven's haven't opened up and the trumpet has not yet sounded so there's still time but i think my bible says there's not a lot of time and that time's getting shorter not getting longer. The Bible is just as relevant, it's just as accurate as, as it's ever been. If you know Jesus, I'm looking forward to the rapture of the church. The people who don't know Him ought to be looking at the world going, man, where does this all end? And they are. And so for you, you have the words of life. You can tell them what it means to be a child of God. And I want to challenge you. Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins so that we might have eternal life and to usher in the age of grace. We're still in it. There's still hope. And I want to pray as we partake together that God would just give us that hope to share with people this year, not not just you know what's uh, your favorite sports team gonna be doing. I love sports as much as the next guy, but no one comes to Jesus because they know who wins the Super Bowl. No one comes to Jesus because they finally bombed a double black diamond run. No one comes to Jesus because they hooked a. Six pound rainbow trout. No one comes to Jesus because they finally learned how to do a backflip on a wakeboard. No one comes to Jesus because they can quote every stat of every baseball player for the last 50 years. They come to Jesus when they recognize that they're a sinner in need of a Savior and they repent and fall on their knees and call upon the name of the Lord. And they shall be saved. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We must teach people the Word of God. It's the only reason I'm here. If I could not teach God's Word with authority, then I would not be here. And I want to challenge you. Jesus said of Himself, He was the Word. We need to preach the Word. Because it's the word that saves. And if you know the word and love the word and have asked the word to be your Lord and your Savior, then you have eternal life. This is the blood of the new covenant to you. And this is the bread of life to you because we have believed and received. And because of that, no matter what happens, one day you're going to see Jesus face to face. That is the message for us for this year. Do you have Jesus? Because in him, your Bible says, you have life. Without him, you do not have life. No matter what the world throws at us. And you know what? The world's going to mock us. The world's going to castigate us. The world's going to say all manner of things falsely against us for his sake. Because we dare to believe that that is actually the inspired, living, breathing, sword-cutting word. I'm willing to go out on a limb and believe Christ for what he said. He that believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. He did that with his own blood. He did that with his own broken body. And as Paul passed it along to the church, he said... This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat it, you do so. Show forth the Lord until he comes. And he said, this is the cup, it's the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the remission of sin. As often as you drink it, you do so in remembrance of him, the real Jesus. I want to pray, and as we pray, would you ask God to give you divine appointments to share Christ with somebody? Would you make it your goal to lead one person to Christ this year? One person. I'm going to start over. I got that opportunity two days ago. I'll do it with you. One person. And if that one person would lead one more person... We could be out of here in a year. (laughs) Because everybody gets saved in the whole world.